The LGBTQ plus community has lost a giant, a queen, a Texas legend, and a beloved sister friend, Monica Roberts. She was one of the first and repeat guests on Collections by Michelle Brown. Monica was definitely a force and regularly made her presence known across the country advocating for social justice and transgender rights. In her own words, she was unapologetically black, transgender, and a woman. She started the Trans Grill in 2006 in order to give voice to those largely ignored and to better represent the transgender community. Her blog, The Trans Grill, and Monica personally have won several awards and praise on raising awareness on transgender issues. I spoke with Monica not long before her transition. Of course, we talked about politics, not just a presidential election, but elections across the country. We talked about the vacancy on the Supreme Court and the impact of Ruth Bader Ginsburg's passing. We talked about the coronavirus and its devastating effect on black, brown, poor, and LGBTQ plus communities. We talked about the work before us as community activists leading up to and after the election. And we checked in with one another as friends about life, our health, our families, even our finances. As always, we ended the conversation saying, love you, sis. Little did I know that this would be my last conversation with Monica. We are rebroadcasting our conversation with Monica Roberts following the 2018 elections. Her concerns and hopes for the elections in our community remained the same. Rest in power, Monica Roberts. We love you, sis. Welcome to the Collections by Michelle Brown Show. A show about people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality as they create change. This episode is brought to you in partnership with the Center for Peace Counseling and Holistic Healing Services. Collections by Michelle Brown. I'm your host, Michelle Brown. Each week we'll be talking with people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality, and creating change. Today we're talking with Monica Roberts. Monica is the trans griot. Although she has roots in Kentucky, she calls Houston, Texas home. She's a trailblazing leader in the transgender community nationally. Monica works diligently at educating and encouraging acceptance of trans people inside and outside the larger African-American community. 
She's an award-winning blogger, history buff, thinker, lecturer, and a passionate advocate on trans issues. She seeks to not only end the erasure of African-American trans voices from the movement, they played significant roles in starting, but get African-American trans people and other voices of color more involved in empowering themselves. Monica was a founding member of the National Transgender Advocacy Coalition and served from 1999 to 2002 on the inaugural board as NTAC's political director. She was a co-host on Louisville's GLBT-themed radio show, After Hours, from 1999 to 2001, served on the boards of Louisville's Fairness Campaign and Seafair, and helped organize Trans Sisters, Trans Brothers conferences in 2005 and 2006. Monica has advocated for transhuman rights protections since 1998, lobbying at the federal, state, and local levels in Kentucky and Texas. In 2006, she became the third African-American trans person and the first African-American Texan to be given the IFGE Trinity Award, the transgender community's highest meritorious service award. When she's not traveling across the country, speaking out for equality and trans rights, you'll find Monica traveling between Houston and Austin, standing against transphobic legislation and for equal rights for all Texans. Monica, welcome to the show. I'm so happy to have you with me today. I know you're right there in Houston, which is ground zero for Hurricane uh, Tropical Storm Harvey. How's it going? Yeah, we're still uh, dealing with it right now. I'm actually seeing something I haven't uh, seen in a couple of days, this sun. So uh, looking out the window. So, uh, yeah, it looks like hopefully the worst of it is over, but we still have a lot of parts of town that are still flooded. Uh, You know, folks who lost their homes, and uh, or have been displaced and are at the George R. Brown and uh, and Toyota Center right now. There was like earlier today about eight thousand people at the George R. Brown Convention Center, and uh, and they opened up the Toyota Center, which that's a which is the Rocketone Arena right next door mm-hmm. to take up the overflow. Yeah, we're still, and, and I just saw uh, that the Texas National Guard's been deployed, and uh, they're going at, uh, to rescue people in Dickinson. So it's it's an area-wide, you know, his, you know, pretty much historic level flood uh, that we've had, you know, that we're dealing with right now. Mm-hmm. How has it brought the community together? Uh, right now, I'm I'm sitting in um, Casa Ana Andrea, which is the uh, which is um, organization called uh, Organization Latina de Trans in Texas's uh, uh, say a shelter and home for trans folks. You know, mm-hmm. for, uh, for, and while they are predominantly a, uh, say a Latin uh, focused organization the uh home is o- open to all uh trans folks of all of all ethnic uh background and also to folks who aren't um as they, as they with that they don't have to uh this 
determine is they they don't have to show their immigration status either. So which is quite important with uh, the as with the racist SB4 law about to uh, become a reality uh, unless we get a unless we get a court ruling in the next couple of days to suspend it. <clears throat> Well, you know, I think that's something that people don't think about. You know, I mean, you see all these horrible pictures. I mean, you have people watching water come at them, and there's nothing that they can do. People are on their roofs. But if mm-hmm. you're not only an immigrant, but especially if you're LGBTQ, mm-hmm. okay, yeah. going to all these shelters that they're saying also puts you in an unsafe space. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think that it's, it's great that you have it there, but, you know, you wonder how many members of the LGBTQ community are, you know, standing firm where they are because they aren't sure if they'll be safe, particularly our trans sisters and brothers. Yeah, because we had that happen during Katrina, which is ironically we're talking on the day that Katrina made landfall back in 2005, uh, when some of the evacuees uh, ended up here in the Houston area. Uh, there was a black trans woman uh, who got sent to the Texas A&M campus, and the, an overzealous uh, cadet on the campus basically called the cops on her because she was simply taking a shower in the women's, you know, in the, you know, in the women, the designated women's uh, shower area, and she spent a couple of days in jail behind that until. Um, until we had a couple of uh, LGBT Aggie alumni who heard about it, and they started, and one of them was in the Corps of Cadets. Uh, they literally raised hell to get them out, and that wasn't the only. I said we had another shelter in the suburban Conroe area that did the same thing. So yeah. Um, and we do have, uh, you know, some trans, you know, uh, some shelters that are transphobic will say, well, we'll house you, but you got to take off that dress or you got to take that wig off or blah, you know, or you got to be, you know, you know, say with the guy, you know, say you can't be with mm-hmm. the guys, you got to be with the women, you know. Um, so yeah, that's that's of vital importance and stuff in in a situation like this and especially in light of the fact when you know people have been under stress you know under stress you may have lost your home you know you may have lost everything in your home um you know we've had some folks that had you know there's been loss of life here you know we've had nine people who have died including a police officer uh so far and so you know people are stressed out um you know, wondering, you know, watching the bayous and uh, and lakes and stuff rising, and wondering if you know those those waters are going to enter their homes, or so, you know, or you know, or if they're sitting in the, you know, if they're sitting in the evacuation centers, wondering, you know, if they're going to have a home to come back to. <laughs> That's the real human issue of uh, mm-hmm. LGBT, particularly the trans part mm-hmm. and, and gender non-confirming struggle is like that even in times when everyone talks about how, oh, we should all come together as one, that some of the very places that you're going to go to for safety, you're going to mm-hmm. find discrimination, yeah. you know, hatred and even violence. Yeah. And I, th- and I had to laugh about the fact that uh, our governor who spent 
along with our lieutenant governor most of this year um, demonizing trans folks uh, has found himself in uh, say another uh, photo op with another trans woman uh, so and it you know it kind of proves the point once again you can't tell you can't you know there's this misconception that you know that trans women look like linebackers in a dress but uh, uh no 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 you know as, as you know as you and i both know i we know more than a few trans women who are size seven size eight shoe wearing divas and i say so the stereo you know the stereotype does not fit uh, you know and, and it's been you know, it, and we're, it's and especially in light of the fact that you know, you know, before the storm, we were, you know, we were sitting up there talking about the fact that, uh, you know, we've had folks in our own community peddling anti-trans uh, hatred that, you know, that you know, say on you know shows like The Breakfast Club and and uh, you know Dave Chappelle doing a comedy routine mm-hmm. that was transphobic uh, and. In the wake of what happened in the Breakfast Club, T.T. Gardner, I say T.T. Dangerfield, excuse me, was killed in Atlanta less than 48 hours later. You know, so, and we've had two trans people killed in Texas uh, because of all the anti-trans animus that they've thrown up uh, to pass, you know, to try to pass our, you know, the, uh, you know, pass SB6. Well, slash, you know, it was called SB3 during the uh, special oppression session that, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, they wasted eight, $800,000 of our tax money to do it, and we still killed the doggone bill again. <laughs> so um, with a lot of help from allies and, and ally group, what, and groups and stuff. So, And, you know, the thing I was most proudest of was that, you know, black legislators uh, stood tall to basically say this is wrong. You know, Monica, I think Mm -hmm. that's one thing. First of all, you're on the front lines. I mean, you were involved with the hero, the human um, equal rights rights organization. You know, and you hear these people talking, these things come up again and again. I mean, they talk about this bathroom business. And... Mm -hmm. uh, when really, quite frankly, most of the time, if someone's going to get assaulted in a bathroom, it's by a straight white man, okay? Yeah, uh, but and it's about, a tra- usually a trans person on the other end of the assault, you know, that's exactly. getting assaulted. And and then and when they're not talking about the bathroom issues, then they try to throw up that stereotype of, of what they want to say what a trans person looks like. Mm-hmm. But no one is talking about the real things, that these are your friends, your neighbors, these are parents, these are mm-hmm. family members. They're not talking about that. And even to the point with, you know, what 45 is doing with this trans ban. Okay, mm-hmm. last I looked and saw when a soldier goes into battle, Combat. Mm-hmm. Uh, they don't whip out their genitals. I mean, so... Not, so and uh, at like uh, Senator Tammy Duckworth said, when my Black Hawk helicopter got shot down and I was bleeding to death, you know, and bleeding you know, to death in that helicopter, I didn't care whether the, the soldiers who rescued me from that helicopter were gay, straight, trans, whatever. <laughs> Bottom line, they pulled me out of that. They pulled me out of that, uh, and I'm still here. 
and you know, and we don't have a draft. So mm-hmm. if someone who's and you know, I mean, he's starting with trans. I'm expecting him one day to say, well, let me think about that. Don't ask, don't tell. Let me think about that. The issues that gay people are handling in general. But you know, no, we don't have a draft. So people are going in. You know, mm-hmm. they're volunteering to go serve. And it yeah. seems like, you know, we still have these, these you know, bugaboos that they want to throw out. and that, But you don't hear them talking about, you know, the trans sisters who are getting killed or, and the trans yeah. people are being attacked. And like you said, if you're assaulted in the bathroom, on the other end, it's often a trans person, trans men and trans women. I mean, mm-hmm. and, and, the, and the fabric of what they're doing. As you're going through, particularly with Hero, now Hero, you know, you made a lot of progress with that. Do you see, and like you said, you've gone up to Austin and you see that you shut them down. Do you, because these, these black legislators are getting it, do you, are they starting to get it? Most of the legislators get it. You know, we do have progressive black ministers who get it. Uh, you know, one one huge one being uh, Bishop Yvette Funder, who yeah, and who I had the pleasure of talking to back in in April uh, at a conference back in Boston. Um, and you do have you know people within the LGBTQ community. You say, but we still have a long way to go in our own community. In terms of the hatred, you know, uh, that they're parroting from their pastors, you know, who are selling out to right-wing Republicans, you know, for whatever cash flow they can get or for, you know, or to basically try to, you know, make a name for themselves, you know, in the conservative movement. And then I say once. And then, as they find out, like Stacey Dash did, once you're, once they you. they've uh, they have no longer any use for you, they're kicking you to the curb. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. We're looking, you know, we're looking at for the most part. Uh, I, I, I'm one thing I'm really sick of hearing is this: black folks are more, I'll say, are more homophobic line, uh, which is bull. Yeah, yeah, we got our homophobes in the community, uh, mm-hmm. even in the LGBT, in the black LGBT, SGL, same gender loving ranks. We have mm-hmm. our homophobes and transphobes, but I don't see black folks running the Family Research Council. I don't see black folks heading focus on the family, or you know, or on if they or on, if they are running networks uh, like. Uh, Pat Robertson's 700 Club, I think, and the folks who wrote SB6 didn't look like us. So, you know, I'm, I'm really tired of this mem being passed that, you know, black people are more homophobic when that's really not the case. Yeah. And, you know, and often for mm-hmm. every one black minister who, who mm-hmm. spews this homophobia mm-hmm. and transphobia, there's so mm-hmm. many more who don't. Yeah, that are basically, yeah, that that are basically on the right side of history, you know, like Dr. Barber, uh, like uh, Bishop Yvette Flunder, Carlton Pearson, you know, Carlton, uh, Bishop Carlton Pearson. And, you know, and I had the pleasure of, 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 of meeting uh, one who used to live in Detroit, in uh, Bishop uh, 
who had the church in Detroit and, uh, and is now Abrams. living in uh, Maryland. Yeah. Abrams. Bishop yeah, Bishop Abrams. Abrams yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Bishop Allison Abrams. Yeah, Bishop Abrams. Uh, you know, I've had some amazing conversations with Bishop Abrams. Uh, there are people, you know, and even here locally in the Houston area, you know, we, we have progressive ministers who basically in the wake of what happened in terms of the hero repeal in 20, you know, in 2015, they basically decided, you know, we really need to step it up politically. We, we can no longer sit up here and, and have Christianity defined as being mean-spirited, racist, homophobic, whatever. You know, and we have to step up, you know, we have to step up, and, and, and they did, and they really did in a big way. Um, and as, they, as we tried, you know, as we fought, you know, successfully fought the uh, fight to kill uh, SB6 and all the other bad, you know, for the most, a lot of the bad legislation that we, we could, we were able to kill. Mm-hmm. Do you find now that, are you getting more calls from the media? Because it seems like they're really quick to go and, and seek out those who either hate us, those who don't properly represent us people who talk truth to power like like you do uh yeah because i have that problem with local media here uh, mm-hmm. i have one tv station i've done two interviews with and they end up on the cutting room floor yeah so but you can you can go find somebody who doesn't look like me preferably white <laughs> mm-hmm. um and yeah y'all yeah, it's you know, it's one of the things that we're sick of in black trans world where, they, you know, there's this attitude that the only time they want to interview us is when a black trans woman is murdered, you know, to make us the tragic transsexual victims. But when it becomes time to talk about policy or, you know, things that are happening, we're nowhere to be found. Because uh, I had to, I had to, I had to clown uh, some some of the organizations during during our uh, regular session. When I'm sitting there in Austin, you know, probably the most well, one of the few well-known black trans folks in this mm-hmm. state. You have a press conference at noon. You don't call me for that press mm-hmm. conference. Mm-hmm. Most of the people that you had speaking were white. Yeah, and I lit them up on that crap. Yeah, it turned out when we had the next lobby day, they made sure I was there. And you know, and like you said, and often it is within our own organizations. How often do yep. you see that the umbrella yep. gay organization wants to like hog the mic and you know and talk on everything and talk about what's happening in the trans community, and they're not trans, and instead of passing mm-hmm. the mic to you know, that authority, the trans Well, no, and not only that, Michelle, uh, you rarely see uh, black trans women hired in these organizations and these gay organizations. Mm-hmm. If you do see a black, that, that person tends to be a black, uh, be a trans masculine person. They hardly, because even Equality Texas does not, has not hired black trans women. They hired white ones, 
but you know, so they then they, they had them during this session. But they, I, I've never seen a black trans person hired at Equality Texas, or many or any of the other equality organizations in my nearly twenty years in this community in uh, in activism. And you know, and the, yeah. and the flip side of that is. Like here in Michigan, we have an Equality Michigan, and mm-hmm. they hired as a victim's advocate. They hired a black trans woman, but then mm-hmm. you heard, you know, like the little the little, you know, chatter going on. Well, the only people they're seen as victims are black trans people, and you know, so it's it's like like you said that homophobia, that transphobia within our own quote-unquote community, that here's this yeah. organization, you know, that, that did hire someone, recognizing that there was uh, a, a need for an advocate, but then you're having other people going like, oh, well, you know, they're not looking out for anybody else, but if you're not trans, but that's not yeah. the case. Yeah, because we can talk about other issues, because uh, I was, you know, I was flattered uh, to be invited by the United We Dream organization to talk about, you know, when they did a rally, an SB4 rally on Memorial Day weekend, they have say they called me a few other times to speak uh, or be be there in support of them uh, when you know when they've had events. I said that's more respect than I get from some trans organizations. Or because because you are, I mean, like you're right there. You're seeing, you know, you're seeing what's happening to your neighbors. You talked about, you know, the needs for, you know, flood assistance. You know about equal rights. You know about all of these. And, yes, you do have a unique voice on the trans community, but you live in the world. And you and you see mm-hmm. the world. You have a unique perspective on many things. Because uh, uh, I remember when, uh, during the hero fight, I had gotten asked by one of the hero opposition who happened to be black activists, well, why don't we say, why don't we see LGBT folks standing up for our right? And then I turned around and I said to her, I said, were you at that HISD meeting two months ago uh, when we were fighting to keep uh, schools from being closed, black schools from being closed? And she said, yeah. I said, I was one of the 100 people that spoke at it. And I pointed out that, you know, because one of the schools that they were trying to close was my old high school. And uh, I pointed out that, I said, there are a lot of times that we, Black uh, LGBT SGL uh, same gender loving folks are part of these movements, and we always have been. I said because we don't want you know to, to have to deal with some somebody reciting what Pastor So and So said last week. The same Pastor So and So who's preaching trans hate on Sunday and then tipping out on the trans stroll on Sunday night. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean- and it does, but but like you said, but you were right there, and you know, but they didn't want to see that. So um, you were invited to be a participate in Net Netroots Nation. How did that come about? Uh, that that's, that was my third actually. That was my third Netroots Nation. The first one that I participated in was in 2012 when they had it in Providence. Mm-hmm. And they were putting together an all-trans panel. And as you probably guessed, I was the lone uh, person of color on it. So, uh, yeah, and um, there was, uh, so we had, you know, so I, the, I went to the one in St. Louis, which was kind of contentious. 
which was kind of contentious since it was happening a few weeks after the California primary. So all the Bernie folks were still pissed, you know, that, mm-hmm. you know, and the handwriting was on the wall and Hillary was basically the nominee, you know, which, but that was, but, you know, it was, it was, a, you know, it was an interesting, pa- you know, it was an interesting panel as always, but, uh, you know, uh, never, it's a, the, and a typical panel. Never enough time, you know, only an hour and not enough time to really deep dive deep into some of the subjects that we were talking about. Even had an interesting experience at Comic-Con. Uh, oh, yeah, that's what you were there. Yeah, there was a, you know, there was a panel organized by uh, Faith Cheltenham uh, mm-hmm. that, in which we were talking about... Uh, about black LGBT folks in, you know, in the comic and fantasy worlds and the lack of representation. And probably no more than 20 minutes after that panel ended, Faith and I were kind of like, you know, wandering the comic con, you know, the, the San Diego Convention Center where Comic Con is. And so we see, we, we see what we, you know, we see this woman who is cosplaying Guinan and had the costume down pat. Mm-hmm. And she's flanked by two Klingons. <laughs> and then we looked, yeah, and then we looked again, and we noticed that she was in blackface along mm-hmm. with the Klingons. Yeah. And so, you know, we called her out right then, right there. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, we called her out right then, right there. Because she had the nerve to sit up there and say, well, well, there's not enough black people that come here, and I'm honoring all black women by doing this. And I'm like, really? (laughs) Me and Faith were there and go, really? And right about that same time that she said that, one sister walked by there dressed as Wonder Woman. Another sister walked by cosplaying Storm. And uh, then a third sister walked by who was dressed as Caprica Six from Battlestar Galactica. Mm-hmm. And, we, and we were like, really? No black people here? Really? Like your mother would just take in the bathroom and yeah, take that out. <laughs> well, basically, yeah, Faith kind of suggested that she does take that you know, because we pointed out that... Uh, and then she tried to just try to say Whoopi Gold. She tried to justify the, the black face by by citing Whoopi Goldberg. And I said, my name is not Whoopi Goldberg. <laughs> mm. And I said, and I told you, blackface is not appropriate at any time, even at Comic-Con. So, because Comic-Con happened, and I say, literally, right when they were doing the hearing for SB3 uh, during the special session. And so, you know, the joke was told, yeah, they waited for you to leave the state before they called the hearing. <laughs> <laughs> I bet they did. The, the joke in the activist community, that was the joke in the Houston, the Houston activist community. They waited. Well, that's funny. That, that is too funny. Well, Mike, mm-hmm. we're going to take our first break here on Collections by Michelle Brown. Um, we're talking with Monica Roberts, the trans griot, and we will be right back. This episode of Collections by Michelle Brown is brought to you in partnership with the Center for Peace Counseling and Holistic Healing Services, 
bringing balance to your mind, body, and spirit. For more information or to schedule an appointment, visit the Center at www.thecenterforpeacellc.com. We're back with tonight's guest, Monica Roberts. Monica, it's funny that, you know, that you talk about Comic-Con. You know, I often say it's funny how people see things and how we're not portrayed in the media. Now, Mm -hmm. I watched Doubt, and, I mean, Mm -hmm. I thought Laverne Cox was just, he brought in some issues, but she was, unapologetically trans but also you saw her you know no and you know, that what's the other thing you know she she was just it was, she was great prepared, uh, she was also representing many of the black trans women that i know who are professional who are in professional jobs i have a girlfriend who is an accountant mm-hmm. um i i know far uh, a whole lot of trans women who are in professional jobs and it was one of the reasons I was so pissed off when Doubt was canceled, you know, after only two shows. Because, you know, that, let's say, Laverne's was probably the first positive portrayal of a black trans woman on network TV since the Jeffersons in 77. And, you know, and, I hated to see that it was gone. Then when they brought it back, it was like something like at 11 o'clock at night, you know, on mm-hmm. a Saturday night when, you know. Everybody's out partying. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, there was there was one of the episodes where I, I loved, the, you know, where Jen Richards and Angelica Ross were playing her friends. And I had to crack up because it was like I know all three personally. You know, I have all three of their phone numbers, <laughs> you know, so. <laughs> and to see my friends on that stage, you know, see my friends in that scene you know basically having that conversation and it's conversations that we have had over and over and over again about dating or whatever and to just see it you know just replayed you know in a drama in a drama series was amazing and you know i'm also looking forward to when the second season of uh star cranks up you know, to see what happens with uh, Amaya Scott's character, uh, Cotton. Mm-hmm. You know, see what you know, see what happens, and see how that relationship, you know, between Amaya and Queen Latifah's characters as mother and daughter, you know, transpires. <laughs> well, I'll tell you. You know, that's the season. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you. I, well, one of the things I'll tell you two things. First of all, the thing with Laverne, what I thought about. Do you remember back mm-hmm. in the day? Whenever you had a black show, we had mm-hmm. to be funny or poor or something. Mm-hmm. And it was like, that was not my family. And when I watched Laverne, I was like, you know, yes, it's a real thing. And then yeah, on, it was, Star, mm-hmm. on Star, when they showed that episode, mm-hmm. oh, I was, I was just like so upset. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, and in fact, part of me was even, I was like, how could Queen Latifah let them 
do that. <laughs> I mean, you know, mm-hmm. because it, it, but you, it's also a part of some things that do happen in our lives. And yeah. like, but you know, but to not, to not always yeah. want to, you know, make jokes about our trans sisters or brother and to talk about the real things that we go through. I mean, mm-hmm. and to not have the trans character die in the first five seconds of the show is on. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, or be the comic relief on many of these shows. So, uh, you know, we've come at the, and we've come a long way, but I would like to see, you know, the trans masculine, black trans masculine aspect be talked about too, uh, in these, you know, in these fictional shows. Uh, I was, you know, because we definitely need to see that representation. You know, we when we when we talk about trans masculinity, you know, it's just like uh, trans femininity has been talked about from a white lens ever since uh, Christine Jorgensen stepped off the airplane in '53. Uh, trans masculinity has also been for far too long talked about from that same you know, white, you know, perspective. And, you know. But you know what, and because and, as you were talking that, when you stop and you think of, you know, mm-hmm. our, our black trans brothers, like um, mm-hmm. Carter or Kyle yeah. Teak, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, really, when? When are they going to, mm-hmm. to, to bring that in? Because it's like that that whole, mm-hmm. a whole community, it's a whole there, community. Yeah, yeah, because Tyler was the reason that uh, ended passed. He was the one that testified mm-hmm. for it at the Senate. You know, he's one of the major reasons to, you know, it passed. Uh, and yeah. you know, and he's been, and he's been doing amazing work for you know as, as long as I have, maybe even longer. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, and we do have some younger brothers who are stepping up uh, and doing some amazing work, not only in BTEC. Um, in the auspices of BTAC, like uh, Merrick uh, Moses in Baltimore yeah. and Van yeah. Milhouse, uh, um, you know, not to say, um, Garthier, uh, Late Ashley, who, you know, is a model. <laughs> uh, so mm-hmm. we've mm-hmm. got some black trans men who are really stepping up. And I can't forget my, they will kill me if I don't even mention their name, Javon Martin and Mr. Chris and and black trans man in Atlanta, you know, so, you know, uh, Sean Coleman up there in, in New York, there, there are just, there are trans men, black trans men who are mm-hmm. not only stepping up to lead, but they are doing some amazing things as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and my, you know, Trenton Johnson you know, and Maddox Jackson, you know, here in the state, because Trenton, mm-hmm. you know, Trenton Johnson, uh, was up there in Austin with me helping to kill that bill. You know, Maddox's wife, Rebecca, was there, <laughs> you know, at, yeah. at one point. And that's one of the beauties of BTEC is because it's like everybody comes together as a family. So, and then to, to be able to take that to the next point to then show that, show those those real stories, show some, some actors. But, you know, it's funny how mm-hmm. you can find white representation it seems like that's the, always the easiest thing to go to mm-hmm. so as black the black trans community not only is it transphobia but there's also racism it's like well, oh, well you know 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and also black organizations, Michelle, don't get the funding. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's, you know, like, you know, like black trans advocacy will, you know, will put out, you know, say, we'll, we'll do, we'll write up, uh, you know, we'll write up a little funding request and, uh, and grant and the big organizations get them and then they want to call us to partner with them. You know, we're mm-hmm. like, no, no, we're the ones that are the experts in knowing what our community needs. We need that funding. Go ahead. You know, cause I, I was at, uh, at, um, the thing where someone was coming in and talking about it, and they they just sort of put it out there. And you know, you might want to think about having a program on trans issues because there's a lot of funding out there for that. Well, like you said, some of these big white organizations have that infrastructure where they have grant writers. So don't take money out of our community and then say, well, here we'll give you some some crumbs to come and talk for us. Mm-hmm. You know, when we should be getting that money. To do the work, mm-hmm. yeah, and especially, you know, and especially since we are the ones that are the experts in what our community needs and how to target that community and how to target that community efficiently and effectively, and you know, and it, you know, it was one of the things that you know that that is that has been a major frustration for us, you know, at BTAC uh, in terms of. In terms of that, you know, the you know the funders tending to overlook organizations, you know, not only overlook black organizations, but it's also a pattern of funders that when they fund stuff, the the South as a whole, and we're talking about the old traditional Confederate, you know, you know, from Texas to you know, say to up to D.C. Oh, it's a only gets 8% of all of the funding that goes out to organizations. And I'm sitting in one of the two cities that gets it in the South. The other one is Atlanta. So what does that leave the rest of the South? You know, that where, and especially when the South is the region of the country where most black folks live. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got an amazing organization that uh, my sister Derenisha has you know, founded down in Birmingham. You know, a trans organization called Take that you know that is doing some amazing work down there. Could use some funding, you know, to back that work up. Uh, sister Jada Mercedes Cardona, you know, has an organization in New Orleans that is doing some amazing transition Louisiana that's doing work. You know, so you know they. Ms. Major has kind of moved from the West Coast to Little Rock, you know, Little Rock, Arkansas. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Could use, you know, you know, there's there's work that's you know that's that's not just centered on Houston and Atlanta, you know, that could you know that could also benefit from some funding as well. Yeah, I mean, because really, when you stop and you see and you think about it, you know, and then you find well, what happens to you know trans youth? Um, those people oh, yeah. who are doing it, they fall through. They fall through the cracks because, I mean, everyone isn't in those two cities. They can't go there. And although we have a more mobile society, you mm-hmm. know, money isn't always there to help people go from here to there to go where you can have access to the mm-hmm. best that you need to help to help move it, move you along. Um, yeah. And I, because I, I, I have to ask because I've seen it 
are why hasn't someone no why is the media still giving Caitlyn Jenner such a voice I mean it's so Ooh. clear that she doesn't understand you know the lives of it and I mean and God bless those <coughs> our, our, our trans sisters who have tried to educate her you know mm-hmm. I, I myself mean, included I, you know, God bless mm-hmm. you. You know, I mean, you know, she so yeah. doesn't get it. And if yeah, because I had to go. Yeah, because uh, Michelle, I had to go to war. The I say on the I say I just wrote a blog post uh, defending Ashley. Uh, I say Ashley Preston for calling her out because you had some folks in white trans world who were upset because the uh, because Ashley did call her out, and I turned around. I wrote in the post that I said. We not only approve of uh, of the wig snatching that happened, uh, it should have happened a long time ago. Mm-hmm. And, so, and y'all were the ones that should have did it since she was one of your girls. But since, you know, she is supporting position like, you know, being, a, you know, a supporter of Trump, you know, who is, who is pushing anti-trans legislation that is going to harm, and who is that going to harm? first more than any whose whose community mm-hmm. is that gonna harm? Ours. You know mm-hmm. y'all left it up to us to do the dirty work. You know, that y'all as a you need to go get your sister. You need to go get Caitlyn Jenner. You know, and say and since y'all didn't do it or y'all were reluctant to do it and y'all you say then you know y'all left it up to us to once again, you know, speak truth to power. Mm-hmm. You know, and, I say, and and like I said, I have no problem doing that. I have no problem doing that, nor does any black trans leader have a problem with speaking truth to power since it is part of the tradition that we of black leadership that we have. You know, that is one of the missions. We call out, you know, we call out crap when it's wrong. That's right. Yeah, right. we you call know, crap. And, and I, I was talking to some people and they were doing it and I, and you know, and I said, you know, I want to tie. I said, I have two words for them. I said, white privilege. Exactly. White privilege. And the all of you. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And the ones who are okay with it are people who aren't living that life. I said, mm-hmm. as long as you know, our transgender day of remembrance, you still hear predominantly black and brown names being called. Mm-hmm. You know, she's no You know, you have nothing to say. You know, you have, yeah. let, let, let's get people who are living it who understand, that, I mean, it, that it's white privilege and that we have mm-hmm. to shut it down. I thought, I, I agreed with you. I loved your I loved your post and you saw about it. It's not like fighting amongst ourselves. It's like you said, it's speaking truth to power. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because, you know, that's the one, that's the comment that I get sick of hearing when you call, you know, when you call bull crap out. You know, oh, you're being divisive or you know, horizontal, oh, this bull crap concept of horizontal hostility. Uh, no, we're calling you out on your screwed up crap. And if you didn't, and if it weren't, if you weren't acting in a screwed up manner, we wouldn't have to call your butt out on it in the first place. Yeah, because I, and, and I, you know, and I talked about in an article, why, you know, how, I say, how I've been put in situations where I have basically had to just go left on somebody and not care how it looked to the rest of the white room. 
because it needed to be said. Yeah, I had a situation like that uh, when the task force in 2000 organized what they call a national transgender policy meeting. And that was when I was the political director of NTAC. And and we had, you know, and the meeting went for a couple of hours, and that was when I was still working in the airline biz, so I flew up to D.C. for it. Mm-hmm. And the then uh, lobby, the, the then uh, lobby, uh, head lobbyist for HRC, who was uh, Nancy Burmeyer at the time, she waits until most of the folks who had called in get off the call, and then she makes some snide comment, you know, well, we can't work with people that have called our leaders Nazis and blah, blah, blah. And she was referring to an article that one of our board members had written in one of the local papers, you know, in one of the local LGBT papers, in which she compared then Elizabeth Birch's uh, communication skills to Joseph Goebbels, you know, which was a fact at the time. Cause, mm-hmm. You know, but... Uh, and then I turned around and I busted her with, and we can't work with people who have sabotaged our last three lobby days. Because mm-hmm. what they were doing, you know, this was when, you know, that was, this was when uh, at the time when HRC was a bigger enemy to the trans community than mm-hmm. tra- than the turfs and even the Republicans. Uh, mm-hmm. And she went running out that room and I said, your white tears will not change my mind. I said, bottom line is, I said, I'm here. I said the stuff that you, I said y'all used to pull is over. I said new sheriff is in town who is here to pass legislation. You can get either get on that train or not. I said, but I'm here to pass legislation that fixes the problems of this community, not kicks it down the can 10, 15, 20 years from now. No, I mean because that's know. the thing that you've often heard periodically. Well, you know that we should wait. You know, um, mm-hmm. you know, we're going to get it for, you know, but if, if the trans community, if they just wait, and it's like, how long, you know, and I, yeah. but at one point we want to put up that big, you know, happy rainbow uh, umbrella and say, and use all the initials, but then when it comes to legislation, it was like, well, but they mm-hmm. can wait, and we could well, get Dr. The, King said, the trans people could just wait. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Dr. King said the same thing. Dr. King said the same thing. When you hear the word wait, it usually means never. For and say we have waited for them to pass. And say yeah, we have waited like uh, like some you know some folks cautioned us to, to, to do during the civil rights movement. The you know the, the I think the '64 is a uh, say civil rights act and '65 voting rights act wouldn't have gotten passed. You know we had waited for a better time. You know there you know say if uh, you know. No, say the repeal of don't ask, don't tell. It had, and I say if they had waited like folks mm-hmm. wanted to, they'd still be waiting for that right now. You know, the there are folks who always want to keep the peace and sit up there and howl about wait. You know, when you know we don't have the option in trans world and especially black trans world of waiting. You know, because our human rights are not codified in law you know we have a bunch of court cases and stuff but court cases can be uh, done and as trump as a as trumpy boy is proving uh 
executive orders written by one friendly president can be undone by an unfriendly president. So you need legislation, point blank, uh, to, you know, so we need past legislation that ensconces our, our human rights coverage in law. You know, say, you know, say executive orders are not going to cut it. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're not going to cut it anymore. And they're unacceptable. You know, say, you know, yeah, we like it, but you know, we want legislation now. Uh, we, you know, say, we need legislation, um, and especially because I don't want our trans kids having to be my age at 55 and still fighting. You know, when they hit 55 and are still fighting the same doggone battle. Yeah, uh, I, yeah. I want to at least move the, the you know, the. Uh, the, the ball down to the goalpost a little closer for him. Do you think that, that perhaps, like, if there's a lesson to learn from having had, you know, eight years of where, you know, we were all going to the White House and getting mm-hmm. Christmas cards and our photos mm-hmm. taken, but that, that was it, that executive orders, you know, that you need legislation, not just a friendly face in executive orders, that you still have to work towards getting that legislation passed at a national and state level? Yeah, we were saying that then. We were saying that then during the Obama administration. And uh, I remember the conversation I had with somebody uh, on the eve of 45 getting inaugurated uh, during uh, Creating Change in Philly. And, And he made the point, this person made the point that, you know, you know, this was the best thing that could have happened in this community. And I said, why you say that? And he said, what would have happened had Hillary gotten elected? Well, we know she got elected, but, uh, for, mm-hmm. with the, you know, but, you know, had Hillary gotten elected, the same gay white, you know, gay white folks would have gotten jobs in the new Clinton administration. Mm-hmm. And you wouldn't have seen any black or brown faces you know, any black or brown LGBTQ faces in that new administration. And, you know, the, the status quo would have been the doggone thing. We would have been muddling along to, you know, she might, you know, say, outside of, you know, outside of the fact that, you know, we wouldn't have, you know, we wouldn't have, they wouldn't have uh, basically, Hillary would have basically continued a lot of the policies that President Obama went uh went down that road, but we still, we still would have been locked out of, let's say, of much of the, the jobs in a Clinton administration. Yeah. Not everybody is. Mm-hmm. They're the same, you know, white gay folks are in the same boat we are. They don't like it when they have to experience the same crap that, you know, say, let's be real, that we have to experience. Yeah. What felt good, you know, we knew that the, that there were some things that weren't there that weren't, you know, anchoring it in so that either we would, like you said, have a foothold to go further or that you couldn't get a 45 in there who's doing exactly what he, what he, he's doing it. I mean, you saw that. It was like our quote-unquote mm-hmm. organizations got real comfortable and mm-hmm. our organizations for communities of color weren't getting the funding because we knew what the fight was going to be, nor were we mm-hmm. getting those seats at the table and and you know one of the things that i have you know have been complaining about 
and even talked to uh, Dr. Barber about is where is the NAACP stance when it comes to trans folks? Mm-hmm. And I say, you know, and I, I say I don't. I say I I want to see the NAACP, one of our legacy orgs, stand up and say trans folk, trans men are men, trans women are women. They are black people as well, and we will stand with them. That's what I want the NAACP to not only say, but back it up with action. You know, uh, I, I say, you know, I would like, I say, you know, and when that mess, when Dia Hughley stirred that mess up uh, on, once again, another radio broadcast in which he, you know, he stirred up, you know, should trans women be admitted into Delta Sigma Theta? And then you had that long, nasty thread that happened. You know, mm-hmm. you know, I would like to see the Divine Nine fraternities and sororities, you know, make unequivocal statements that their membership is open to black trans people. And wouldn't that also, I mean, wouldn't it give them more credibility? It's like, these are what your values and your mission is about. Mm-hmm. And if you welcome people women you know mm-hmm. if you welcome women who share mm-hmm. and support and are going to promote these value and your mission you'll have a mm-hmm. stronger sorority um mm-hmm. and, and and stronger communities yeah, I, know, I know folks that would, i know folks in the community i would be a legacy in aka if they would if they, if they were to invite you know if they were to and i say if they were to pass such a policy uh, I would love to wear the pink and green, <laughs> uh, and I know people who you know who who have long lines in in say in other you know in Delta in Zeta or say uh, who are you know Sigma Gamma Rho who would love to be members of those sororities and, and are down with the historic mission of those sororities, but they have to basically take the step to invite us in. Mm-hmm. They have you know they have to make it clear. That you know we are partners, and and I'm saying that also because these organizations have a combined membership of nearly a million professional black women, and you know, say many of those members of uh, say these divine nine fraternities and sororities uh, they are are con- say are members of Congress. They are in, you know, they are in various fields from the media to, you know, to education to, you know, even the military. And it is vitally important that, you know, that, you know, and since they already in, you know, they are in, you know, they already have gay and lesbian members of it. I don't see the problem in inviting trans folks in. Thank you. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Monica, we're going to take our second break right here, and then we'll get back. I've got a few things to talk to you about before we we end for tonight. So you're listening to Collections by Michelle Brown with my very, very special guest, sitting high and dry, well, maybe a little damp, in Houston, Mm -hmm. Ms. Monica Roberts. We'll be right back. Collections by Michelle Brown 
airs every Thursday at 7 p.m. You can subscribe now and listen to the podcast on Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. Be sure to like the Collections by Michelle Brown Facebook page and mark your calendar so you never miss an episode. Monica, you know, you're a history buff. One of the things, I had talked with Andrea Jenkins, and she's mm-hmm. doing the thing with the Treader Collection, collecting uh, stories of members of the trans community. And, you know, and she and I were talking once, and, you know, there's a lot of people who have passed on, and maybe we've missed those stories. You talk about it, too, like the contributions that as that the trans community and African-Americans and African-American trans community that we have made to this country, that we have made Mm -hmm. to society. But sometimes those stories are lost in part because we're black, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, What do you see need to to happen beyond, you know, I know that the Treader Collection is one thing, but you still hear kids saying, I thought I was the only one, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, now they can, yes, they can go on online and see it, but often the images that they see of trans youth are going to be white. So mm-hmm. what do we need to do to, cause you and I know, you know, I love our young people, but you learn, you need some historic memory so that you know what's happened. What do we need to do to get that historic, historical knowledge so that we we know what our strengths are and then like you said you wanted to leave a space where we can we can build from that some of that stuff mm-hmm. is already there you remember we were in creating change in chicago that was one mm-hmm. of the things you saw young people who didn't recognize the work that had been done to get to this point where we're at now and mm-hmm. you don't have to reinvent the wheel you don't have to do it on but how do you build on those strengths? How do you find allies, intergenerational allies, mm-hmm. to work with on getting equality? Yeah, because yeah, uh, the first part of that question, we were talking about our trans youth. Uh, I love Jazz Jennings. I've met her. I've met her entire family. I've met a lot of the trans, you know, I say I've met a lot of the trans folks, but the, you know, the young trans youth, but the majority of the ones that I hear talked about are are white. I don't hear them talking about Trinity. Uh, I don't hear them talking about Trinity Neal, who's you know a young black trans you know who's a young black trans girl, uh, you know who lived up you know in the East Coast, uh, or you know or Ellie let's say or little Ellie. Uh, the the stories of black trans youth have been neglected in a lot of cases you know you know thanks to their parents you know thanks to Deshauna for getting Trinity's story out there and thanks to Ron you know and uh and just and Vanessa Ford for getting Ellie's story out there so that our community knows that black trans kids exist but you know there was there was one time that Deshauna had called me and uh 
and she said Trinity was down because, you know, you know, the the things that she was seeing, you know, she had wanted to be, you know, she was talking about at that point wanting to be an activist, but the people that she saw, you know, being, you know, featured didn't look like her. And that was when I turned around, I wrote a post where I literally talked about Marsha P. Johnson and I talked about the the kids, you know, who were like her who who jumped off the Dewey's lunch counter sit in in Philadelphia in 1965 uh, you know uh, that and 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 talked about all her elders you know who you know who had major roles in this movement and and it and and it really lifted her spirits to the point where this you know Deshana told me a couple of days later she said you know, Trinity, you know, and Trinity wrote to me and said, Miss Monica told me about my history. I'm going to make history. And so the point that you're making in terms of our kids need to know their history, yeah, it is, it, it is real. You know, it is real. And that history is not only for the benefit of our kids, it also benefits, you know, it's also for the benefit of the adults who didn't know it. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, there are folks who didn't know that, one of the major gospel singers of the 40s, from the 40s through the 70s, and Wilmer Broadnax was a black trans man. You know? mm-hmm. Or, you know, we've had a Jet Beauty of the, a, a jet beauty of the Week in, in Ajita Wilson, you know, who was an actress, uh, and a Jet Beauty of the Week and was trans woman, a black trans woman. Uh, or a black trans woman has actually sat, gotten elected, to a state legislature in Althea Garrison when she got elected in 1990 to the Massachusetts state legislature. So yeah, there's a black trans woman who actually accomplished that. Mm. So, so yeah, we have a proud history to talk about. Uh, it's just that we, you know, it's just, a, and, and it's one of the reasons that I found it transreal because I come from a family of historians, and it was one of the questions that I kept asking myself when I finally, you know, if they started making the moves to become my true self, uh, where are the people who look like me? What did we do? You know, what? how did we get to this point, you know, in time where we are, you know, what did we do? And and interestingly enough, uh, there was a deal that Google cut with the Johnson Publishing Company in which to digitize a lot of Ebony and Jet um, magazines, you know, for you know, for their digital, you know, for their digital archive. Mm-hmm. And out of curiosity, one day I just typed the word transsexual in to see what was in there. And all of a sudden, all these articles started popping up from the 50s, the 60s. Wow. And I went, wow. You know, and, and, and wrote about a lot of those stories, you know, based on some of those articles. Because, uh, you know, I, I think, you know, one of the fascinating stories was like, Georgia, it was about Georgia Black, uh, who grew, you know, who lived in Sanford, Florida. She was a member of her you know, her church. She was a faithful member of her church. Been married several times. They didn't know she was trans. She didn't, they didn't know she was a trans woman until she died. And she was on the uh, autopsy table, and then they found the uh, they they found the unexpected genitalia that they found. 
So there are a lot of cases where a lot of our elders, you know, our trans elders basically just lived in plain sight. And the and the other you know, the other problem that we have, you know, uh, is that the early protocols that they use for transition call for you to basically transition, you know, call for you to transition, have your surgery, never let anybody know that you are trans, and just blend in and fade into the, you know, and just fade into the woodwork. Uh, while that's fine for that individual. It's not fine for building community. It's not fine for passing down your history. And this is, you know, and this is probably the first time that we've had, you know, where we've had the opportunity to have intergenerational conversation. You know, where trans, where, where trans folks of my generation can talk to not only our elders like Ms. Major and Gloria Allen, and Justina Will, you know, Justina Williams, who's up there in the Detroit area, uh, or you know, say, or you know, Diahana Taylor, or say, or Tracy uh, Jada O'Brien, have those intergenerational conversations, and then I can turn around and pass them to the kids, you know, to our trans kids, mm-hmm. and pass that information down to our trans kids, uh, so it lives on, uh, because you know, I'm not getting any younger. You know, let's mm-hmm. be real. You know, mm-hmm. let's be real. Uh, you know, I had double nickels this year. You know, while I hope that I'm around for another 25, 30 years, uh, that may not be the case. So somebody's going to have to pick up the torch where, I, you know, pick up the torch, you know, when I'm no longer here and continue chronicling that history. And, you know, that's why Andrea's project is so important. And, you know, I'm, going to be up there in the Minneapolis in a few weeks for a conference they're doing up there so and going to carve some time out so that I can do you know, say, so me and Andrea can finally do that interview that you know say you say so my my story can be in that archive so uh great oh, mm-hmm. but uh yeah and I and say and I, and I love the fact that she's doing that uh, and it's just we also because it's it's vitally important because uh you know some you know some of the story the interesting stories that I discovered uh um in terms you say yeah, I'm like, okay, these folks were doing this like in the twenties and thirties and forties mm-hmm. during Jim Crow segregation, and they were still living you know they're still living their lives and basically mm-hmm. being who they were, you know, uh yeah, this is amazing, <laughs> you know so so. When when you sit up there and read these stories of struggle, you know, of, of these folks, and you're sitting up there, you know, a right wing legislator doesn't look so intimidating after that. Mhm. Mhm. Yeah. But well, well, you know, I think that one thing, the other thing about you, Monica, and I, and I, and I think of you, I think of Carter, I think of Andrea, I think of Kyler. I mean, there's so many people who are out there, and mm-hmm. you you know, and it, and it's so important that we see ourselves, you know, exactly. and, and and that you're accessible. I mean, you know, you're not just doing, you know, you're not just staying in Houston. I mean, you, you should have, I know you got frequent flyer ride at Oh, you know, yeah, I do. I mean, everybody's frequent flyer point, yeah. <laughs> hey, hey, and you probably doubled them just going from Houston to Austin, you know. But, I mean, it's like, 
you are out there, and that's so important. That visibility is out there. Mm-hmm. That that part that you know your whatever people might think is a stereotype. You you break it down. You show them, you know, that you can be outspoken. But the thing that's interesting is that not only are you outspoken, sometimes you say things that maybe everybody doesn't want to hear, but you're still there for the conversation. The next time mm-hmm. around, don't go like, well, I won't be back. No, you come back and it's like, okay, round two. Are we going to do this nice? Are we going to do yeah. it? No, we can do it yeah. We can do, yeah, we can do this the easy way or we can do this the hard way. And then uh, I'm also, you know, this year uh, we have a conference here in Houston, a local conference here that involves a lot of the trans kids uh, called uh, Gender Infinity. And that's going to happen in October. And this year I'm getting, I'm going to actually do two panel discussions with it this, you know, in which one of them is going to, be one in which I talk about trans history. Because uh, I've done it the last couple of years during the Texas Transgender Non-Discrimination Summit, but this is the first time I'm doing the panel uh, outside of uh, TTNS. Uh, and it's, it's, it's another one. Well, actually, it's not the first time. It's, uh, I, I've been doing it at BTAC the last couple of years, too. So, uh, you know, to, you know, the, the uh, to basically lay that point out, that foundation that that we that BTAC is building on, uh, but this you know this but this you know in terms of bringing that history to our youth and bringing it to the parents of these trans kids um, is vitally important because they are the next generation. That you know, they are our next generation of leaders. It's one of the reasons why I get so upset when I sit up there and see another trans woman has been murdered. Uh, when I was in Atlanta for um, Netroots, the one of the memorial services happened. The memorial service happened for TT and for TT Dangerfield, and I discovered that TT was a rising leader in her union. And so, you know, she was the breadwinner in her family. You know, she was the breadwinner in her family. She was about to close on a house. That you say, but you know, talk about you know how important it is to have that next generation around. We lost the leader. You know, we lost a rising leader uh, when when she was killed. Uh, And I am talking. And if and it's why. I want to see uh, the transphobia in black in black spaces ended. It needs to happen. I say we are part of the intertwined kinty cloth uh, fabric of black society. That's what that history tells. That's what you know the history that I've written about on Transgrio, the history that Andrea records unequivocally says. You know, I was talking to some people about the black community, and to me, we look out for ours. And I, we were talking about in one area, and to me, if you see a woman being assaulted, if you see uh, there should be a space, if you're in a black community and it's a black woman, that she should feel that there are places that she can go to sort of say, I don't feel safe. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, or if you see them, that someone will, will stop and say, are you okay, sis? You know, mm-hmm. you know, can I help you? 
can you would they would put the light on and say that and what was interesting was like everyone was like oh yeah we got to look after our kids and we have to watch out for our sisters but when it mm. came down to talking about trans sisters mm-hmm. and i even heard it one time from a police person that somehow or uh, other some of them might be um involved in a behavior that and i said whoa wait a minute Nothing that anybody does gives license for them to be brutalized and murdered. Mm-hmm. You know, that should be it. Period. The end. And particularly mm-hmm. us in our community, we should be saying that. But that that change to like, oh, that, oh, risky behavior. Oh, you know, they're doing something that's just not right or they're drawing yeah. attention to themselves. How do you change uh. that? Uh, I've actually, I actually busted somebody with that, uh, that choice on that choice argument. And I threw this in their face. I said, okay, if me being trans is a choice, then can you tell me the exact date and time that you chose to be a heterosexual black female? I always knew. Well, exactly. That's, that's the thing for trans folks. We always knew. Mm-hmm. I said, we say just like you can't you just say just like it wasn't a choice for you to be a heterosexual black female or a lesbian, but let's say or black lesbian. Uh, no, it is not a choice for us either. And I'm sick of that choice language. And I'm even more irritated when I hear that coming out of black SGS ain't gender loving spaces. Mm-hmm. When I hear them reciting that language, yeah, it irritates me. It's it's like nail chalkboard when I, you know, lifestyle. That word mm-hmm. lifestyle, ugh. you know, so it's like nails on a chalkboard when I hear that. But mm-hmm. but it, it hey. it's one of the things is we can't, you know, it's like we're we're up to seventeen murders right now, uh, and we're not even out of August yet. Mm-hmm. You know, it it has to stop. And most of the most of the folks who have been murdered, most of the you know, have been under age forty. Yeah, so that you know that's got to cease and desist. And 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 I say, and I think a lot of of tackling that, you know, we're not you know not only on our end in terms of trying to avoid putting ourselves in positions where we can get assaulted or whatever. But it's also incumbent on the community at large to stop the demonization of black trans women. And mm-hmm. th- to me, that also has a bigger tie-in to the demonization of black womanhood as a whole. Black womanhood has been demonized from the time we first stepped off the boat on that unwanted boat ride. So, yeah. you know. Because if you have one group of women and white women that you put up on this pedestal as the penultimate in fertility and beauty and whatever, then by by you say you also by then in order to enforce that you have to point to a group in that you say don't be like them. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, because of slavery, black women got that burden. But but they don't want to be us, mm-hmm. you know. They you know they you know they follow our trends, our style, blah, you know everything else. But they don't want to be us. But, you know, mm-hmm. if push right, comes right. to shove. Mm-hmm. 
appropriate our styles and what what before was seen as unacceptable once they appropriate it it's in it's in fashion it's in vogue mm-hmm. well mm-hmm. monica we're coming into the home stretch and i'd like to ask you you know how do you feel that you know you've the intersections that have influenced your life you're a writer you're a blogger you're an activist you're a woman, you're a trans woman, and you're black. How do you feel that all of these intersections that have influenced your life have impacted the work that you've done and are going to influence what you do in the future? Um, as I like this, you know, the as blog license, I would say unapologetic black woman speaking truth to power since 2006. So I'm going to continue to be that. As long as I'm here on the planet, uh, and you know, there's still a whole lot of work that I need to do. I say, you know, uh, yeah, I, I'm not gonna rest until you know the you know until the uh, the transphobia in black spaces is you know is eradicated or significantly reduced. You know, I want to see you know I want to see more black trans family. I say I want to see our black trans kids not being thrown out of their home but being loved on unconditionally by black mm-hmm. parents. Mm-hmm. You know, I want ministers to stop selling us out to to white fundamentalists for thirty pieces of silver and standing up and going back to doing what they used to do in the civil rights movement and standing up for the community. There are also some conversations that black black trans and cis women need to have too, uh, because you know we, we're kind of looking side eyed at each other too. You know, um, you know there are times when you know you have this you know you'll go out you'll go you may go out clubbing one night and the cis woman gets mad because the, the black trans woman is getting all the male attention and all of a sudden she whispers into some brother's ear, that's a man. <laughs> mm. Mm. And, you know, and by doing that, you have set that sister up for a beatdown or worse. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, we've got to stop assuming that every black woman, that cis woman is our enemy. That's not the case. <laughs> some of them, as a some black cis women have been my biggest out, al- not only my biggest allies, they have helped me immensely on my journey, my ongoing journey to, uh, say, uh, say uh, evolutionary journey. And, you know, they, shoot, I enjoy, and I enjoy the time that I spend with my sisters, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. when I'm hanging out with them, you know, and, and, it, and it's, it's mutually beneficial to both groups. And then the other benefit to us is that, you know, black cis women have grown up with all, you know, from from birth, having the expectations of black womanhood being ladled upon them and just walking this planet in a black female body. And there are, you know, and there are lessons that we need to know in order that that will probably help cut, you know, that will probably help save some of our lives. Well, I think that, you know, uh, I know what your mission is. You know, I I hope that we can one day recognize that we are all just one, a black community and support mm-hmm. and grow strong black adults. 
because we yeah. are under assault and we don't need we don't hey we don't need any weak links we need to be lifting up our, our youth our women our brothers whether they're mm-hmm. cis or trans we need strong mm-hmm. black people Monica, yes, I want to thank you for being with me tonight. I want you to stay high and dry. <laughs> That's the game plan. So That's it the looks, game plan. Yeah, it looks like Harvey's moving out of here because it's like since since we started this conversation, all I've got is some wind and some light, light little misty rain around here. But uh, it looks like the worst of it is over now. We just got to wait for it to drain. <laughs> okay, no. but... Okay, but while, you know, I'm going to be in touch with you, I do want you to send me the information about that gender. Mm-hmm. It's always great to talk to you. We will be talking again. We're going to talk more. I don't talk to you enough. Um, mm-hmm. But thank you. Thank you for taking right. the time to be with us today. And thanks for the invitation. It's always say, fun to talk to you, too, as well. Okay, darling. All right, well, mm-hmm. stay safe. All right. So that's our show for this evening. Again, I want to thank our guest, Monica Roberts, The Trans Grill. You can find her blog. She does speak truth to power. You can listen to collections by Michelle Brown each week by following the podcast on Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, Stitchers, or SoundCloud. That's all for tonight. I hope you'll join us next week. And I'll introduce you to another amazing individual living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality, and creating change. That's right here on Collections by Michelle Brown. Thank you and good night. <laughs>